Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 344 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed the current and still rapidly changing state of generative AI in the legal tech world, with me responding to Tom's challenge not to be all optimistic and instead to be more realistic about the topic and its prospects. In this episode, we have another very special guest in our Fresh Voices series. In Fresh Voices, we want to showcase different and compelling perspectives on legal tech and much more. We have another fabulous guest. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we are thrilled to continue our Fresh Voices on Legal Tech interview series with Amani Smathers, Innovation Solutions Manager at Chapman & Cutler, Adjunct Professor at Michigan State University College of Law, one of the ABA Legal Technology Resource Center's Women of Legal Tech, and so much more. We want our Fresh Voices series to not only introduce you to terrific leaders in the legal tech space, but also provide you with their perspective on the things you ought to be paying attention to in legal tech and otherwise. As usual, we're going to finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we are so pleased to welcome Amani Smathers to our Fresh Voices series. Amani, welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report. Thank you. It's great to be here with you guys. Before we get started, can you tell our audience a little bit more about you? Tell us about your role at uh, Chapman and Cutler, what you do at uh, Michigan State University School of Law. Yeah, I'd love to. So I am the Innovation Solutions Manager at Chapman and Cutler. It's a firm focused on the financial services clients. And we have a group called uh, Chapman Practice Innovations. And this group is dedicated to it's actually a strategic initiative at the firm uh, that they call Working Smarter. So we get to you know, use technology, use alternative staffing and, and process improvement to help the firm work smarter, apply technology to provide you know, more modern legal services to our clients. And uh, this is my third big law firm. Previously was at Seifarth Shaw in their Seifarth Lean group and at Davis Wright Tremaine in their DeNovo group. And I also work with Dennis now at Michigan State College of Law. And I am an adjunct instructor. I teach a business of law course uh, called Delivering Legal Services, New Legal Landscape, uh, which is great because I get to teach students things that they don't get from a lot of the other, you know, doctrinal courses about what the... Uh, markets for legal services actually look like and what some of the players look like in this space and help them learn about some, you know, multidisciplinary skills that they can use in their practice um, to make them a more, you know, client-friendly and modern legal service provider. Amani, as you know from our many conversations, sometimes I get a little frustrated with how difficult it still is to explain technology, uh, both old and new technologies, and its benefits to those in the legal profession. 
you are actually really great at this and you have a style and approach that I like and you use visuals, charts, graphics just exceptionally well. Would you talk about your approach to communicating with lawyers uh, and others in the legal profession about technology, both inside and, and maybe even outside your current job? Well, um, I do like visuals because I think I'm a visual learner. Um, and so I know that when I'm trying to learn a new concept, it's very helpful to me if I can have some kind of visual to attach that concept to. Um, I think 10 years ago when people are talking about blockchain, I had the hardest time because no one would provide a visual. Like I wanted to see an interface <laughs> or even code or something. Um, and people just talked about it at a very high level. Um, and so I... When I teach, when I talk to people, I like to provide visuals. Um, I know not everyone learns that way, but it's helpful for me. And I will probably try to talk through some visuals in this podcast. Um, so maybe we'll have some show notes <laughs> that will help there too. But so yeah, I, I do like using visuals and, and data visualizations. But I think another helpful communication tool in general when talking about technology and, and any kind of change management is always starting with why. Uh, I know, Dennis, you talk about this too, but not really jumping into, oh, hey, this is cool technology, but really starting with a problem statement or an opportunity statement um, and really grounding kind of everyone on what we're talking about, why it matters, and building from there. Um, and you'll get a lot more, I think, interest and buy-in that way. So when we talk about technology and lawyers, um, I know Dennis is going to ask you at some point about the T-shaped lawyer. You've talked about the class you're teaching at MSU. Obviously, there's a technology component to that as well. We like to ask the, our Fresh Voices guests kind of about the duty of technology competence and uh, and where it stands right now. And we tend to be the grumpy old men on the lawn bemoaning the fact that uh, competence is, is, is not where we think it ought to be. But we like to get fresh perspectives on that. So, you know, what is your view of the current state of technology competence? Where do you see it now with the lawyers maybe you're working with or that you see out in other places? And maybe what is your view for how that might change in the future? Yeah, so many of your listeners are probably very familiar with the duty of tech competence, right? Model Rule 1.1, Common 8. To maintain competence, a lawyer should keep abreast of changes in the law and its practice, including the benefits and risks associated with relevant technology. So that comment has been adopted by over two-thirds of states now. And we have a large enough profession that I would say we have the full spectrum, right? So <laughs> this is a, a visual that we'll have to talk through. But if you can imagine a bell curve, you may already be familiar with the Rogers Diffusion of Innovation Adoption Curve. But it, you know, it says there's a bell curve of how people adopt technology, right? You have a small amount on the, the first uh, side of the bell curve of innovators who adopt things really fast. And then you have early adopters, and then you have the early majority kind of approaching the middle of that bell curve. And then you have the late majority and the laggards. So each group of those people have different characteristics that make them more or less likely to adopt something quickly. Uh, and I think in the legal industry, we have that full spectrum. I would say in my current firm, we're early adopters maybe even edging towards the innovators. But innovators are people who will 
Like they like the new shiny thing and they will get it because it's new and it's cool. Um, so some of the like press releases you see from law firms that have adopted something before they even have use cases for it. That's like the innovators on the adoption uh, technology adoption curve. That's and then the early adopters, cool. <laughs> yeah, the early adopters are like, okay, we want a competitive advantage. We're going to do this where it makes sense um, before other people do. And we're going to get that uh, you know, first mover advantage. And then you have your early adopters who watch the other two groups and say, oh yeah, I see that's useful. We should get that. And then the late adopters, they're like the people who see it at Costco, right? Like it's so, it's so easy to get that you almost have to get it. It's so easy. And it's already been proven for all of its use cases. And then you have the laggards. And I honestly think, just like you see on the diffusion curve, that the laggards are a minority. So I don't actually think in the legal industry that we have a, a majority of laggards. I think they're a minority. And I work with a firm, like I said, I think we're on the early adopters side, but you do hear about laggards sometimes or people who don't fully take their due diligence to learn about technology. And those are the ones you'll hear about, right? We have a couple, two cases I'm aware of, of lawyers that you know came up with <laughs> fake cases that they cited in um, actual filed uh, you know, motions with courts. But I don't think that's the majority, right? It's the ones we hear about. Uh, but I think where we are and where we're going is just we see it kind of follow that adoption curve. There are lots of lawyers who are early adopters, are early majority. And I, I don't know that that's ever going to, you know, I think that's just a, a natural way the technology filters through a large group of people. So, Amani, you're, you're known for bringing business approaches from adjacent fields into law practice, and you still might be best known for your, your article on, the, on T-shaped lawyers. By the way, I just saw someone else uh, the other day talk about the T-shaped lawyer as if he had invented it in, in that site to, to your article. So it's not just AI that uh, overlooks cases or articles <laughs> and references. It's humans do that as well. But can you talk about T-shaped uh, lawyer uh, as one approach to look at the full skill set of lawyers and, and then maybe touch on how technology might fit into that T-shaped skill set? Sure. Um, and I'm the first to say that I did not invent the T-shaped professional concept. That was something that was developed, um, you know, back in the 90s with IDEO and IBM. They were some of the first organizations that talked a lot about T-shaped professionals. And what they were recognizing was that, you know, we have sometimes people in many professions that become experts in their field. But to be really good problem solvers and to provide holistic services to clients. One field doesn't necessarily cover all of the potential solutions um, or even departments within an organization. So they talked about developing a T-shaped professional, which is someone who has very deep domain expertise in their area, their discipline, and then also has a broad but narrower range of disciplines that they know something about. Um, maybe enough to be dangerous, but actually enough to collaborate with experts in those fields. So I 
heard about this at actually a conference at MSU. IBM was talking about the T-shaped professional, and it made so much sense to me that that also applied to lawyers. So yes, back in 2014, I you know, applied it at a reInvent Law conference and also in an ABA article and talked about what it would look like to be a T-shaped lawyer, right? To have deep legal expertise that you can apply to solving clients' legal problems, but also have the, the bar of the T at the top having some knowledge of technology, process improvement, business skills, data analytics, even security, right? And if you're a solo or a small firm lawyer, honestly, you wear so many hats. You do need some expertise in a lot of those different areas and maybe less so as a lawyer in a bigger firm where you can, you know, supervise others that that uh, specialize in those fields. But again, the idea is that you know enough um, to be able to apply those disciplines to more holistic service delivery and problem solving and provide a, a better overall service to your clients. So listeners of this podcast will recognize and know uh, how much Dennis and I like to talk about collaboration technologies and also about the fact that collaboration is probably not discussed often enough in the legal profession or with law law firms, even though um, they're collaborating a lot with themselves, with colleagues, with clients, with anybody. Um, so we like to get opinions of other people who are out there using technology with lawyers and let ask you, what are your favorite ways to collaborate? Whether that's with your coworkers, whether it's with colleagues, with other groups, um, the f- favorite ways to collaborate or favorite tools that you use to collaborate. So having been at three firms and worked with some of my clients' technology as well, I find that I can, can use what they have, right? Start with what you have. Uh, I do personally like Slack. I like the threaded conversations and the emojis and all of that, but I can certainly collaborate without it as well. One of my favorite tools, though, is a meeting type. So I really like scrums. Um, If you're familiar with the Agile methodology and some of the meetings that they have, a scrum is a 15-minute meeting with teams, uh, with people who are actually doing the work And everybody goes around and in like a minute or two says what they did yesterday, what they're doing today, and if they have any blockers. You don't necessarily have any conversation. Um, You just go through that. And it gets, I like to start the day with it. So it gets people thinking, uh, reflecting on what they did yesterday and also planning ahead a little bit. And it gets everyone kind of on the same page of what's happening. And again, clearing those blockers. So I've done this with technical teams. I've also um, known some of the project managers I work with to do it with legal teams. And the associates and the partners found it very helpful as well. For associates, it meant for at least those 15 minutes, they knew that they could like bring up any blockers or questions that they had for the partner right there in the morning. But I think it is important, again, you don't like address them during the scrum, you address them afterwards. Like you can have the conversations, the follow-up conversations afterwards to make it so it really is like a 15-minute meeting or less. But I've, I also implemented that with a team of document automation specialists that I led at DWT. And 
it was the way I started every day and it was great to lead a team that way. So that's one of the the tools that I love to use for collaboration is just that 15-minute Scrum meeting. I use Scrum a lot with our clients if they choose to use it, if that's the methodology that they want to use. And I will say that unless you can run it effectively, if you can run it effectively, it's a great collaboration tool. But run ineffectively, it is such a drain on productivity because I've had teams who have gotten it so wrong that it just feels like such a drag uh, to have to do it every single day. So uh, it's I second that. You got to know how to do it. But no, it's a terrific tool. All right, we have more questions for Amani, but before we do that, we're going to take a break for a quick word from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, The Spanish group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And we're back with Amani Smathers, Innovation Solutions Manager at Chapman & Cutler. Amani, what is happening right now in legal tech that really excites you or seems to have the most potential? And how might these technologies or I guess even uh, process improvements impact legal education as well as the law practice? It's okay if you're, uh, to me at least, maybe not to time, if your answer is generative AI, but it might not be. My answer is not particularly technology at all. So hopefully that's allowed. Yes. (laughs) But the most exciting thing to me in kind of the legal innovation space right now are the changes to lawyer regulation and um, the being kind of piloted in Utah and Arizona. And that will have effects on the technology that is used in legal service delivery um, by law firms that are operating in those sandboxes um, and also by you know, law companies. So having different options for you know, who can deliver legal services, what type of business structures, you know, multidisciplinary, Um, and just different types of organizations will allow law firms and non-law firms to, you know, adopt technology, invest in technology, but also uh, invest in just different ways of delivering those legal services that I think are going to benefit clients, um, but also potentially, you know, legal service providers, lawyers and um, (laughs) non-lawyers who work in this space. Well, I'm glad you answered the question the way that you did, because sometimes our guests answer that question where they do talk about generative AI, which takes away my question. And I'm glad that you didn't do that. So I'm going to I am going to talk about generative AI here because I feel like 
we kind of have to. I mean, I, I, I hate the fact that we, we, we do this on every podcast, but it's, a, it's, it's the thing. So I, I do want to ask the question to you. So a lot of hype lately, very high, highest hype cycle I've seen, except for maybe Threads, uh, the debut of Threads <laughs> over the past week. But ChatGPT, generative AI, getting so much hype. Like you said, lawyers are using it maybe in very inappropriate ways. Uh, big companies are starting to purchase other companies for the par- purpose of using it. Where do you see this going? What role do you see tools like ChatGPT and the, the, their progeny playing in legal technology? Yes, I'm glad you talked about hype. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the latest LLM models are, I think, the biggest tech advancement I've seen in my decade in legal tech. So that's exciting, right? And yes, it does feel like we skyrocketed right up to the top of the peak of inflated expectations, right? If you're talking about the Gartner hype cycle. We're about eight months past the mainstream launch of ChatGPT back in November 2022, like eight months. (laughs) Um, And it's felt like this mad space race for every tech vendor to incorporate LLMs into their platform And I get it. I mean, they are fielding questions from customers. They don't want to get left behind um, in this new competitive landscape. But it has moved so quickly. I think many of them, uh, you know, those applications are maybe half-baked, to be honest, or, or not that very helpful features, but they needed to put it in. And I think as more users try out those solutions, we might then find ourselves, again, talking about the Gartner hype cycle, coming down from that peak of inflated expectations into the trough of disillusionment <laughs> uh, soon as well, right? Uh, and that's because generative AI is not necessarily the answer to every legal or business challenge. It maybe can't do everything that everyone says it can at the level everyone's promising, So, I don't know, one example, if a corporation has a standard form contract that they've blessed and they want to adhere to, letting GPT, like, riff on that form with its, you know, its sampling, if you ask it for the same thing multiple times, you might not get the same answer. It might result in different edits, different red lines each time. So it might not necessarily be the way that, you know, the, the legal team wants that to go. And it might still be that you default back to an old-fashioned document automation that customizes the form based on preset expert systems rules, right? And so that's where we will get to uh, past the trough of disillusionment to that slope of enlightenment, right? Where the market finds the real best case uses for the new technology. And, and people will get here at different times, I'm sure. But, you know, my team is experimenting with LLM-enhanced tools for contract analysis and tools for other tasks in transactional law practice. And, you know, we're playing with some homegrown tools and also with vendor-created tools. I'm still in that experimentation and evaluation stage. Um, but I do, I have no doubt that it will augment our legal teams going forward in some ways once, uh, you know, we answer some of those questions around how do you do it securely? How do you put those guardrails around it so that you get less, if you are asking it questions, that you get less of those hallucinations um, and also answers that you'd expect? And I think people also have to get used to understanding that maybe its answers are like a first-year associate, faster, but not necessarily. It's a large language model, right? It's, It's giving you answers that sound good 
and are based on information it could find. It doesn't necessarily have a model or experience of the world. And so you often, for some tasks, you're unlikely to get, you know, partner-level understanding, especially if you're bringing, trying to bring together, like, knowledge of a client and also knowledge of the document that you feed mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. So there's so much more learning to be done by folks like my team who are trying to actually apply it and see where it's going to make the most sense for that slope of enlightenment. And yeah, it, it will be, it will absolutely be a part of tools going forward. And we're still finding those best use cases and, and uh, guardrails. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, Imani, I'm, I'm looking at how to incorporate AI into what we're, what we're doing at the Center for Law, Technology and Innovation next year. And, and I really have modest plans because I think we're in such an experimental stage and people are being promised so much. And I think the promises are based on some of the probably the hardest problems for this type of AI to solve and maybe even some problems that are inappropriate for this particular type of AI to solve. But one of the other things I'm doing at the at the center, um, as you know, is that I've launched something, soft launched it, it'll do more formal launch in the fall of something I call the New Legal, that's one word on New Legal, Careers Platform. And you are clearly a pioneer in what I call New Legal Careers. In fact, you're sort of the prototype I had. And your career path so far is really interesting. And I think it will be instructive for our listeners who want to consider the new possibilities out there in legal careers to to hear your story from law school to where you're now at where you are now and 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 the types of roles that you had. Could you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. So you used the term career path and I was joking once with Professor Bill Henderson that it's less of a defined path and more like uh, some trap trampled grass across a field um, <laughs> that I was following, right? There wasn't necessarily, there were some people who had walked this way before, um, but not enough to have made an actual path. You know, there's very different than folks that, you know, uh, go through summer interviews, get their summer associate, associate, uh, you know, a senior associate, partner. That is a known path. And it was also somewhat known to me that it was a path I didn't particularly want to take. So when I was at MSU, I was extremely lucky to overlap with two then ad, um, associate professors, Daniel Martin Katz and Renee Kanaki Jefferson, who had, were just starting what they called the Reinvent Law uh, Laboratory for Law Technology Design and Delivery. And they talked about a couple of things that really rang true for me even then. You know, they did talk about the challenges the law firms were having during the Great Recession and the fact that some of those old paths maybe weren't quite what they once were and that there were so many opportunities if you looked beyond those paths. And they were interested in helping law students, you know, learn more about multidisciplinary skills and bring in tools like design, delivery models, and data to modernize this delivery of legal services. And I didn't want to work too much in a profession that seemed totally like decades behind every other profession. And I was interested in these areas. So I took courses with them um, 
And I also worked with them for a year, putting on some conferences. And then through networking, through reInvent Law, I met some folks at Cypherth. And Cypherth was really a, a pioneer with project management and process improvement in legal. And I was um, extremely lucky to, to make those connections and move on to my role at Cypherth, um, where I got a really good basis in, you know, lean methodology, process improvement. I'm focusing on that, you know, interest in what's current state, what's future state, like what are the areas in our future, in our current state that are wasteful, are, you know, holding us back, are um, inefficient, and, and how do we get to that future state? So, Back then, I know it was extremely common to talk about law firm innovation with um, people, process, and technology. And I'd also say I've been very lucky to have worked at three firms that uh, focused on all three of those and each one in, uh, stressed a different one. So Cypherth, I think, was extremely strong on that process improvement. And from there, using that as a basis, then pulling in people solutions or technology solutions. Once you had assessed your, you know, process, your your problems, defined, uh, had a definition of success, and then we're moving on to implementing solutions. Uh, it was a, a really wonderful foundation um, for the, the rest of my career. And then when I moved on to Davis Wright Tremaine, I'd say their, their particular strength was often in the, the people solutions. So they had uh, a group called Surge, led by Jenny Chen. And as part of that, I got to work with really great clients, had great client relationships, um, and was able to build a team of document automation specialists that got to work on some legal operations challenges with those clients. And uh, we had some great kind of people options for solutions. And then now at Chapman & Color, I work with a fantastic team that's really focused most on the technology pieces. So when I was looking at uh, the team at Chapman and Color, I was so impressed that they had built a tool, um, a closing binder tool that they actually sold to NetDocs, a technology company. And this is a team that can kind of proactively identify areas where something is harder than it should be, or we don't have the right tool for X. And if it's not in the market, we can look at building it. Um, and so we have great talent, both on the legal side, um, our innovation partner and folks like myself and Shay Smock, who can you know connect the legal side with the technical side. Um, and that's been a lot of fun so far. It's also given me the opportunity during COVID years to work on some document automation projects for legal aid organizations on a pro bono basis. And that has been a highlight of my career as well. So I've been lucky, you know, some, we, we make our own luck, we, we find those opportunities, but I, I've certainly been lucky as well to work with some great professionals that I've learned a lot from. And when I was deciding, you know, 10 years ago, whether I wanted to go in, go this route, I remember talking to Renee at MSU and, you know, asking her, should I be an associate first? Like, should I go that route? I, I'm sure I could. Like, I was a, a good student. I passed the bar. I could, I could go that route. I knew I didn't really want to. <laughs> uh, I didn't really want to be a lawyer for that long. But especially at law schools, you know, they want you to 
be a lawyer. <laughs> they want you to have a JD required job because that's part of the law school metrics, right? Like their ratings are higher if their students go into JD required positions. Um, and a lot of the other advice I'd gotten was, oh, no one will take you seriously if you don't, you know, um, have that experience first and then you'll have so much more credibility. And, you know, she recognized that that idea, but also, you know, asked me kind of looking forward 10 years, if you start in this position now, you would be senior in this position in 10 years, right? You could build a niche and expertise and, you know, already kind of be a senior in that role. Um, or you can start as associate and, and get some of that experience firsthand. Um, but then if, if this is really what you want to do, you'd be kind of, you know, trying to sidestep in a few years uh, and not have that same kind of senior expertise in the role that you want to be in. So that was helpful advice that kind of, you know, allowed me to feel better about kind of jumping straight into a legal innovation team at Cypherth. And, you know, I have worked in three big law firms. And so I've definitely had that experience of working with legal teams and working with legal operations teams in legal departments and building that context for the last 10 years. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I went that direction, kind of knowing that's where I wanted to end up and just going straight into it to, to build that uh, niche for myself. Well, that's an awesome answer. Uh, it was so complete. It was great. We still have more questions for Imani, but we need to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be back. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy. And I'm Tom Mile. And we're joined by our special guest, Imani Smathers at Chapman & Cutler. Um, we've got time for just a few more questions. And the question I want to ask is kind of the, the last question that I like to ask all of our Fresh Voices guests. And I call it the best advice question. And I, I like to frame it, can you share with us the best advice around technology or whatever you, that either, either you've been given or that you are giving or both that our listeners might take away and find something useful? Absolutely. So regarding legal innovation, a very important lesson that I've learned and like to pass on is that when measuring a new process, it does not have to be perfect to be better. So I've heard this expressed a number of ways. I heard Suskin, Richard Suskin talk about this when he was discussing his online courts book. It stuck with me. He said that in the name of justice, people miss the opportunity to reduce injustice. So again, the test of a new solution should not be whether it's perfect, which is an impossible standard anyway, but whether it's better than the status quo. Dan Katz, uh, my 
professor at MSU used to say, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. So again, you know, if you're working on that future state solution, and if naysayers can poke holes in the solution, say it's not perfect, the solution that is better than the status quo can still very much be worth working towards, right? It's better. It's an improvement. So that is kind of the idea of continuous improvement. Very rarely can we improve something straight to perfection. So just remember that better than the status quo is the goalpost, not perfection. Cool. Yeah, I was just thinking about continuous improvement and what it looked like earlier today uh, in connection with something I'm doing. So I have the question that uh, since Tom names his, I'm thinking about naming mine is, uh, can you help Dennis do some some work for free question? <laughs> and, it, and so it goes like this. Who are the fresh voices in legal tech that you might like to single out and see as part of our Fresh Voices series? Yeah, I'll name two. One is Anna Carpenter, who's a professor at the University of Utah College of Law and founder of the Justice Lab. I don't think I've met her in person, but during COVID, I got to hear her speak on a number of webinars. I found her incredibly insightful, and uh, sometimes I was like in vehement agreement with things that she was saying. So I've added her to my list of people who I'm always interested in hearing more of what they have to say. And then the second person is Carmen Ballou who's vice president of data analytics innovation at Alas, the um, lawyer-owned mutual insurance company. And she has a really interesting role using um, data analytics for risk management for law firms. And she's very, uh, you know, as part of a lawyer malpractice insurance company, she's very um, interested in lawyers following their professional responsibility um, when it comes to technology and data. And uh, I also always find her very insightful. You know, it's interesting. I was at two law firms earlier in my career that were Alas law firms. And I just always associate Alas with innovation and uh, sort of prevention in in really positive ways and, and new approaches. All right. Well, we want to thank Amani Smathers for being a guest on the show. Uh, Amani, before we go, can you let people know where they can learn more about what you're doing, maybe how to get in touch with you, that sort of thing? Sure. I think these days the best place to find me is just on LinkedIn. So my name uh, there is the initial R, R Amani Smathers. And uh, you can also find me if you Google my name, Amani Smathers, find my website um, with a little bit more information about me as well. Well, thank you so much, Imani. You were a fantastic guest, as I knew you would be. Great information, great advice. I loved the story of, of your uh, career, uh, you know, tamp down grass uh, as opposed to path, which is probably similar to mine in more ways than, than uh, people might expect. So I also want to thank you for all you've done uh, for your students at Michigan State, especially your, your care and concern in the continuing aftermath of the, ma- the mass shooting event at MSU last February. I appreciated that immensely. And I also appreciated our conversations shortly after that happened. It was very valuable to, to me. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Amani, take it away. So my parting shot is to take a walk. Science has shown that walking can actually increase our creativity. There was a Stanford study that showed it can increase it by up to 60% just walking. 
One explanation might be that it uses both the left side and right side of our brain. Other ways, it just kind of gets us out of whatever else we were working on when we were sitting down. I know a lot of us are knowledge workers. We're at the computer every day, um, all day long. But I start my day with a walk, and uh, it's a wonderful way to get those creative problem-solving brain patterns going. You know, it's funny. I walk the dog several times a week, and uh, I usually listen to podcasts. But for some reason, my brain wants to work on problems and not really listen to the podcast. And I always come away from a walk with a good idea and not remembering anything about the podcast that I was listening to. So um, 100% on that. I have a sneaking suspicion that Dennis is going to mention ChatGPT in his uh, parting shot because that would be on par for him. So I'm going to cut to the chase and I'm going to beat him to that. Do to the punch, I guess, is the metaphor I was looking for. And uh, and I will say that uh, I was interested to find, we've talked about on this podcast, the fact that Microsoft 365 is going to start introducing a lot of generative AI tools in uh, in its suite. Uh, they're calling it Copilot, and uh, they have started. I've noticed out in the wild uh, the first instance of Copilot, which is part of Power Automate. So, if you're familiar with Power Automate, the used to be called Flow, uh, the, the the tool that you can use to create uh, workflows between applications, both in Microsoft 365 or other locations. Um, it now has uh, a little window that pops up as you're creating it that says use power use uh, copilot to either help create your flow or help make the flow you are creating better so you can have conversations with it you can add information i'm just getting started so i can't exactly tell you how it works but i'm excited to use it uh, if you're interested in seeing how copilot is going to be deployed in microsoft 365 here is your first chance dennis you know, Tom, I'm literally astounded at the accuracy of your predictions of my parting shots when they're in the script right in front of you. Stunning. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Stunning. So, uh, you know, I, I'm intrigued with co-counsel in, in a way that you uh, might not expect. And, and that is, I think that once the AI gets built into the Microsoft suite, I think it's a game changer on everybody who's trying to set a policy on AI. I just think it's going to make them rethink everything they've thought before because it's going to be right there at hand and built into the tools people use every day. So that's an aside. I've been doing a lot, a lot of experimenting with ChatGPT, and I've been talking to people about it, and I've especially been using it on the productivity side. And so I've had some people talk me into uh, doing an Ask Me Anything free webinar that I'll probably do in early mid-August about some of the ways that I use ChatGPT to enhance productivity and, and to use it use it personally. So watch my LinkedIn for details on that. And, I, and I'm planning to just go right into what I do, what the benefits are, the jobs to be done that I'm trying to accomplish, and the actual use cases that I think make sense for doing things that are right in front of you. And that to me is actually the one of the most exciting parts of, of uh, the large language models uh, and the tools that we have is, isn't that like legal research and these big, you know, big things. It's like, what are the simple things that this can really help me with? And the biggest one of those to preview is, I think it really helps with the blank page in front of you problem. 
All right, so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode and others on the Legal Talk Network's page for this podcast. You can find all of our previous podcasts with transcripts on the Legal Talk Network website. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn infrequently or less frequently. Actually, don't reach out to me on Twitter anymore. I am uh, now uh, spending more time on threads than on Twitter. Um, Or remember, leave us a voicemail. We love to get your questions for our B segment. That voicemail number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. As always, a big thank you to the Legal Talk Network team for producing and distributing the podcast, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.